Let us go to our God in prayer. Our gracious and holy God, we give thanks that you have given us your word. And we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open to us your word, that in our hearing of it you would shape us, mold us, convict us, and encourage us that we might be made even more into your likeness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christopher is right. Chapter 22 of the book of Jeremiah speaks some strong words. Uh, These are the prophet Jeremiah's words, probably the strongest he speaks against any king of Judah. We've been looking at this prophet now for a few weeks and and some of his his own personal life and angst amidst this call to to preach a tough word and as well as looking at the substance of his message uh, in and of itself. And today we're looking at that substance as it's directed against this king named Jehoiakim who reigned for 11 years as king of Judah, 11 of the 40 years that Jeremiah preached. Uh, Jehoiakim was one of the sons of King Josiah. Now, King Josiah, the the father, he ruled as king of Judah for 31 years and was very well regarded. We're going to hear about him briefly in the reading. But again, his son Jehoiakim, who Jeremiah directs this message toward, uh, is very much not like his father. And so we hear these words from Uh, Jeremiah chapter 22 verses 13 to 17. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. He says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he makes large windows in it, panels it with cedar, decorates it in red. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? But your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, and on oppression and extortion. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. And then our New Testament reading comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12 and 19 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have heard two scriptures read, and we are going to consider them both. But actually, I want to start by considering just one more scripture because it relates in a very important way to all of this. It is Psalm 18. 
Psalm 18, verse 19 in particular, there is this great verse that gives expression to one of the ways the good news of God is known and experienced unto us. It is a very favorite of mine. And before you ever get to Psalm 18, verse 19, uh, you hear in Psalm 18, King David cry out about how he's trapped. The cords of death entangle me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called to you. David describes his situation as entangled, overwhelmed, coiled, ensnared. It is the sense of one who is utterly cornered, pressed, boxed in, suffocating without options. And then God shows up. To deliver David from his enemy. To draw him out of this entanglement. And finally in verse 18, David summarizes the good news he experiences. The Lord brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. A spacious place. Good news is experienced by by David when he's brought from a trapped place, a suffocating place, an overwhelmed, boxed-in place... And to a spacious place. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Is how Psalm 23 speaks famously about this truth. We see over and over in scripture. God is a God of spacious place. I love that promise. Maybe God does not show up with all of the answers we want every time. Or or show up with a road map that we so think we need right now. But ours is most definitely a God spacious place there is a wideness in God's mercy there is space to breathe to move from that which once bound us cornered us trapped us entangled us had us in knots pressed us we are delivered by God unto a spaciousness this is what God does for God's people this is good news this is what God's kings are supposed to do For God's people in God's name. And so in chapter 22 of Jeremiah, King Jehoiakim, we read, he is all about creating spacious place. Of course, right, we know it's not for anyone else except him. Verse 14, he is making a spacious upper rooms, we read, with an expansive view, large windows, we read. He's adorning the interior with red dye, which would have been the finest and and most expensive dye of that time. He's paneling using cedar for wood. Beautiful, strong, sturdy. And it's the detail about cedar wood that makes the irony of this situation so painfully poignant. The cedar tree is an image used in scripture in a number of places to speak of what the righteous people of God look like when they are nourished and strengthened by God. God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel at one point in Ezekiel chapter 17. It says, on the mountain heights of Israel, I the Lord will plant Israel. It will produce branches and bear fruits and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. God speaks of God's own people as growing into a splendid cedar tree with fruit and shade. Psalm 92 actually speaks of each person in the house of God growing like a cedar. And so what you really have is a lush 
forest of strong branches with fruit and shade. And so lush and so full is this forest and the extending branches that there is plenty of room to provide all kinds of space for the birds of the air to nest and and shelter for the sojourners below. Birds of the air, you may recall from a sermon uh, a couple months ago, is an allusion to the Gentiles. Which is to say, we're going to have space for people of every tribe and tongue and nation to the ends of the earth. The bottom line is, Scripture envisions the people of God as living cedars. Nourished and strengthened by God in such a way that they can provide space on the branches and space below the branches. Jeremiah declares that this king, Jehoiakim, is cutting down cedars for the paneling of his palace. He is killing lots of cedar trees. And of course, Jeremiah is making the not-so-subtle double point. King Jehoiakim is not just cutting down cedars. He is cutting down his own living cedars, his people. He's not nourishing his most valuable cedars, but cutting them at the root and making them bend over and and build this palace without pay. He is not looking to provide an ever-expansive space for people of every kind to dwell, but instead to provide a space to his own liking and his own comfort. The people were but a means to his palatial end. And Jeremiah, he strongly and rightly critiques King Jehoiakim for this. It's easy for us to shake our head at the overt injustice of it all. But the truth is, King Jehoiakim is falling for a common temptation we see. We see sometimes in countries or businesses or schools or organizations where where the people get used much more as a means to another's palatial end. Rather than nourish the very best of the people in the organization or the group, the the people are cut to fit another's own end. And even even churches can at times fall into this temptation, at least the temptation of this line of thinking. We can start to feel sometimes, you know, we're going to need more members to keep up with all the good things that we're doing and, and, and the things that we need to keep doing. And unconsciously what we start to say, and we, and we hardly mean it, is we need some cedars here to help prop up the things that we've got, the good things we've got, the things that need to keep going. As if cedars exist to be cut, shortened, and put into the place where they help prop up a previous design. No, our, our, our goal, right, is always to focus on the living cedars themselves. The cedars among us, the cedars above, beyond us. The long-time followers of Jesus, the newer followers of Jesus, the folks who are trying to find their way. We want to nourish the trees that God has put in our midst for such a time as this. No matter how many, how few, how many. We want to give them water and sun and shelter, pruning and prayer. Whatever best helps them grow branches that shoot wildly in different, expansive, joyful directions that allow them to be what they were made to be, vibrant, large cedars of hospitality. Anything for them to become strong branches under which the most vulnerable might find the gift of rest and the gift of space. Jehoiakim was right to be thinking about making space. 
but he had the wrong means. He was working in dead cedar. He lost sight the fact that the way he was to build the spaciousness was in and through the living cedars. And he lost sight of the fact that always the spaciousness and expansiveness that is created is not for self, but others. And of course, Jehoiakim, he should have known better. We read in verse 15, he'd forgotten the example of his, his own father, Josiah. Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, and so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy. Your father had food and drink. He had every good provision, every basic provision. And and what he did with his provision was nourish the weakest and most vulnerable cedars to be. When he made space and shelter, it was not a palace for himself, but a covering and a defense for them. And I love Jeremiah's tact here. Jeremiah recognizes that sometimes the way to help another change direction is by pointing out the example of a loved one whom we respect. Doesn't work. Jehoiakim actually does not change. But sometimes. Sometimes it's the saints who have gone before whose wisdom and courage are the best guides for us into the the future. And so Jeremiah points Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim to his father, Josiah. We today might think of our own parents or grandparents. Maybe not all of them are folks that we look up to as women and men of, of God, but I bet a number of them are, or some of them are. Or we might think of our parents and grandparents of Grace Covenant, the saints who have passed along the good news of Jesus Christ in this congregation and have trusted us with carrying forth that same good news. And can't we just hear Jeremiah come along in our lives in those moments where maybe we are tempted to to make a comfortable living for ourselves, a comfortable space for ourselves, to hold tightly to our gifts, our treasures, our preferences, those times where we just kind of want to build our own thing. Can't you hear Jeremiah coming along in, in those moments and pointing out mothers and fathers as one way of drawing us into the faithful future. Perhaps Jeremiah would come along and, and, and from time to time lift up the women of Grace Covenant. Do you remember, Jeremiah might say, how, how Nancy White Thomas, she came to the Lydia Bible class in 1966 and, and she read this request from the women at Richmond City Jail. They wanted a Bible study. And do you remember how the women in that class in 1966 looked at one another and they agreed? How, how could we not respond to that kind of request? And do you remember how these mothers and grandmothers of Grace Covenant, they visited Richmond City Jail, some weekly, some monthly, to do Bible study and share in prayer and to be present? Do you remember the mothers and grandmothers of Grace Covenant, the kind of space they opened with their branches from 1966 to 1991? Or or do you remember, Jeremiah might say, The fathers and grandfathers of Grace Covenant. Do you remember how the men's Vanguard Sunday School class would go and tutor at the Beaumont School, a reform school for youth who'd already run into their own trouble very early on and for decades would tutor, and you know that a good tutor does not provide the answers, right, but provides a kind of space where there is a trust and encouragement, a kind of space where the workload can slow down And the right answers and way can emerge. 
Or maybe Jeremiah would say, do you remember the Sunday school teachers, the adult and children Sunday school teachers who created such a space in that classroom, such a space in your hearts to hear the living word of God? Do you remember the mothers and fathers who saw this space and open up the child development center because they wanted to create a spot where the tiniest, most vulnerable cedars to be in the community might be nourished. Do you remember your mothers and fathers? Jeremiah points to Josiah and how he defended the cause of the poor and needy. The father had done this. And actually... Jeremiah takes it an important step further. Jeremiah's whole statement on this says this. Josiah defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, God? Notice, God, through Jeremiah, does not say, the knowledge of God will lead you to care about the poor and needy, though though that, that can be true. God does not say oppositely. Caring for the poor and needy will lead you to a knowledge of God, though though that may be true at times. God says, actually though, here, the defending of the cause of the poor and needy is in and of itself knowing God. That somehow taking up the case of the most marginalized or, or any in some form of need is to know God. That is a stunning statement to wrap our minds around. I think often we think of knowing God as something that happens when we, maybe we go off and we sit with our Bible and our journal and we reflect prayerfully. It's true. I have certainly known God this way. Or in worship where most assuredly God is present when we gather and, and, and we, we, the word is proclaimed and we re- receive the sacraments. And yet, let's admit, the very scripture that maybe we read quietly and is proclaimed from Sunday to Sunday in this space, this very scripture declares as well that God, that knowing God happens in and through taking up the cause of the poor and the needy. To be branches of rest and shelter to the vulnerable is not that what it means to know me. And of course, this sentiment foreshadows what John proclaims in our New Testament reading today, right? Whoever does not love a sister or a brother who is in their midst does not know God because God is love. You can say you know God, say you love God, but it's impossible to have any knowledge of the invisible God if you're not actively loving the visible humans in your midst. In Jeremiah's paradigm, that lands with extended branches of hospitality and shade for the vulnerable neighbor. This is the very tangible action in and through which God is known. And maybe at some level that does make sense to us because we realize, you know, isn't that, isn't that how God knows us? For God so loved the world. How do we know God loved the world? How, how'd that find expression? For God so loved the world, God gave his only son. God came in the person of Jesus Christ, concrete, visible, letting himself be confined to the realities of our flesh that he might take up the plight of poor and needy humanity. Letting himself be bound to a cross by the weight of our sin that we might be free of that burden and live then in the expansive space of forgiveness grace, letting himself be bound to the darkness of death where he bore dark's 
death's dark reality for us, that we might be given the gift of eternal life in the house of God, the house which John 14 famously declares has many rooms, plenty of space. You see, King Josiah, the father, he foreshadows Jesus, the king who makes space not for himself but for the people here and always. And Jesus does it at great and full sacrifice to himself. And he brings us into a spacious place that that we might be nourished in the merciful soil of God. It's spacious because the plan is for the roots to extend pretty deep and pretty wide because the idea is then that the tree and our hearts and our branches will be expanding to give space, good news to fluttering birds and wandering sojourners below. For of course, the heart cannot be growing and expanding if the branches are not also expanding. How can one say they, their heart loves God if if they are not branching out and loving the sisters and brothers in their midst. We who have known the spacious good news of Jesus Christ, how is God calling us to share that same gospel by making space, opening space, particularly for some of the most vulnerable Because like King Jehoiakim, we are actually supposed to be concerned a good bit about spaciousness. It's just not about us. And perhaps we consider, well then, God, who, having known such good news ourselves, we look around, who who in our midst is in a tight spot? Maybe it's a homebound congregant or family member who comes to mind, and and God is calling you to, to open a space For them to sit and share a story or a joke or just some shared silence because for too many hours, well, they've been homebound and have had little space to be heard or prayed alongside of. Or quite literally, some of our hearts are drawn still to the incredible refugee resettlement that is going on for vulnerable millions in our world. Or closer even For some, the hurricane relief efforts, Houston, Florida, the islands in the Caribbean, Puerto Rico, you heard in the announcements about how Steve Kemp senses this very call. But so many still lack any kind of space they would call home or work. And there is so much anxiety boxing in. How is God calling some to be about spaciousness? Or we may think of one in our life who is trapped in shame. Good news is one who comes along that side that person and offered a compassionate space, a gracious space. Or we think of those who perhaps the health care costs keep getting higher or they fear losing their coverage. What does it look like to take up the cause and help them find the space to know the provision will be there? Or one cornered by addiction in our life. Sometimes making space involves an intervention or it involves covering them in regular encouragement when they no longer believe there is a way forward. Or yet again, maybe we can think of one in, in our life or where, where the relationship is stuck, the relationship is trapped, the relationship is tense. How often it is open-ended, honest, loving questions that can prove such a remarkable way to open space for a new perspective, a new grace. Or maybe those literally boxed behind bars or, 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 or caught in the bureaucracy of a system or stuck in any number of ways. How 
are we called to be people of the spacious good news of Jesus Christ? And perhaps in a fundamental way, that answer goes back to simply also inviting folks week to week in worship. Right? The wood of this sanctuary is surely not just for us. This is a beautifully, uniquely expansive space of worship. We know it to be a sheltering space of nourishment and restoration under the gracious wings of God Most High. Who needs this branch extended to them? As a freshman in college, I could hardly qualify as the most poor or needy. But I was new, I was scared. And I put myself in a lot of stress in the little box of anxiety and all the face of the, all the workload and the unknowns and the fear of failing, fear of not doing well. I was trapped very early on that freshman year in a box of my own making. And I have found since then that we humans are good at making boxes of our own making in every season of life. And during that particular time, I started attending this small Presbyterian church. And one weekend I meet this couple retired teacher, retired minister. They share with, with uh, me and a couple friends, they'd recently purchased this house tucked away along an area of Lake Norman, this large lake not too far from the college campus. And they purchased it so that people could have retreat. The, the broader church, sure, but in particular, this couple's vision was, was for college students of nearby schools to have space for regular reprieve, quieter space for study or reflection outside the normal demands and pressure on campus. They called the house, the, 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 the land actually, quiet waters in reference to Psalm 23 two. He leads me beside quiet waters or still waters. And then the retired minister, he referenced Psalm 18, and when he described the full idea, he said, look, I know how demanding and stressful school and college in general at times can be. I wanted to give folks a spacious place in God's creation where they might be restored. And so I, and I know a number of of other students, we would go out to quiet waters, and I went a few times there to study and pray and walk and reflect and all this because a couple folks in, in God's forest understood so clearly that they had brought, been brought into the spacious heart of God so as to be spacious branches of hospitality to those boxed in, cornered in, and trapped. Their hearts and their branches were spread wide. And I remember them this day as cedars. Who nourished me with the good news of spaciousness. And of course it did not hit me until many years later. Upon reading this very passage. That even as they were opening space for me to know the living God. In such a spacious restful way. They in the taking up of my cause. And opening their branches. They too. Were knowing God in and through that very act. And if you were there in the Sunday school with Dr. Don DeVries this morning. Uh, They were growing into what they were made to be, living cedars. And there is such joy when we do just that. And so may we know the spacious place of rest and hope and life in Jesus Christ this day. And may we likewise share the good news with branches wide. This is the always and ever faithful posture of those who follow the true king. Amen.